Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message. today anybody missing that hour of sleep that we lost last night hey I'm excited to get to speak with you this morning like Pastor Oscar said my name is Abdiel and if we haven't met I'd love to get a chance to meet you maybe maybe after service today I want to start by uh, just honoring our, our our lead pastor Pastor John how many of you believe that we have the best lead pastor on the planet and just want to say thank you so much, Pastor John, for allowing me to share this morning. Also want to thank Pastor Oscar. And if you didn't know, today's Pastor Oscar's birthday. So you didn't know, now you know he's turning uh, 32 for the 20th time. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying stuff. Hey, I'm excited uh, again to be here with you this morning. I want to introduce you to my, my family. There's a picture that's going to come up on the, on the screens here in just a moment. Uh, yep. Oh, there we go. There's my family and uh, my beautiful family uh, over uh, on the uh, left. Is that left? You've got my wife, and she's the one that holds it all together. Her name is JC. She's amazing, beautiful, other than Jesus, best thing that ever happened to my life. She is holding our three-year-old son. His name is Jonah. And that mean mug that you see on the screen, that's who he is, okay? His default is, I don't like you, and uh, you better not come near me. So that's his default. I'm not going to apologize for it. But if you want to win him over, just get him a big tub of the Brahms uh, birthday cake ice cream, okay? That'll, that'll, that'll do it. Or he's, he's on a popcorn kick right now. So popcorn will do it, fruit snacks, okay, he's a sucker for, for fruit snacks, not the, not the nasty kind, but the good kind, okay. So uh, that's, that's my son, he's amazing, he's fiery, he's brave, and uh, he's got a lot of personality. And then I'm holding our, our daughter, her name is Havila, we call her Avi, but most of the time we call her Sis. She's turning one uh, here in a couple of weeks, and she's amazing, she is just a little... Uh, little little ball petiteness of, of, of cuteness, okay? She is amazing. She will melt your heart with, with her smile. But we're continuing in uh, the season that we're in this morning on bended knee. And I want to start this morning by looking at Genesis chapter 32. And so if you will, uh, you can turn there with me. As you turn there, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what we're getting ready to read. We're reading uh, uh, one of the more interesting stories in all of Scripture, and the guy at the center of this story, or who this story is about, his name is Jacob. Everybody say Jacob. Jacob. Now, if you don't know about Jacob, Jacob it has, man, one of the craziest stories in all of Scripture. Like, if you think your family is jacked up, messed up, okay, uh, just read Genesis chapter 23 or 27 through 33, I promise you, you will feel a whole lot better about your family situation after you read that. But we're going to read about uh, Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 through 31. 
And it says this, that same night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. The reason why Jacob was left alone in this moment is because Jacob, as we're going to read and talk about here in a little bit, he's got a, he's got a crazy life, and in this moment, he's getting ready, ready to confront his brother. And him and his brother don't have the greatest relationship, and his brother's got like 400 men with him. And Jacob, in this moment, is all alone because he's trying to figure out how he can get away from this situation. He's stuck in fear, and he doesn't know what to do. And it's in this moment of great fear, desperation, and frustration that we read this story in Genesis chapter 32. And it as we continue to read, it says, And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of his joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This man that he was wrestling is God. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. The title of my message this morning is The Struggle to Bend My Knee. So write that down at the top of your notes. We are going to talk about the struggle to bend my knee. Let's pray, and we're going to ask God to just teach us something new this morning. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that your presence, God, is in this room. It's filled this room, and I pray God, that your word this morning, God, as it is alive and it is active and sharper than any two-edged sword, I pray that it would fall on good soil this morning and that we would not leave this place the same way that we came in. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen, amen. Do we have any athletes in the house today? Come on, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed, any athletes, okay? Uh, oh, even if you're like, you're like a former athlete, okay, maybe a wannabe athlete, Okay, maybe you just got athlete's foot, okay? Anybody, all right? Hey, I, I, I was an athlete growing up. I, I did all kinds of sports, middle school, high school. I did, you know, baseball, uh, football, basketball. I did some soccer at some point in my life. Okay, I did all kinds of sport, but there was one sport in particular that, you know, I, I had no business participating in, and I, I did it because all of my friends were doing it, and this sport was wrestling. Any wrestlers in the house today? Anybody? Has, you know, ever been on a wrestling team, maybe at school, or, or, or maybe you just wrestled independently, whatever it may be. Wrestling is a hard sport. If you've never been a part of a wrestling team, man, it is grueling. It is taxing. It, it takes a toll on your body. I remember in the seventh grade, I wrestled at the whopping weight class of 86 pounds. Come on, somebody. Okay, but, but hey, 
how many of you know God is faithful, okay? I hit that growth spurt, and in the eighth grade, I wrestled at 102 pounds, okay? So some of y'all are like, dude, have you gained any weight since then? So I have. Okay, we're well, going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. But I was a pretty good wrestler. I, I wasn't bad. I, I won, you know, a, a few amount of, 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 of wrestling matches, and I found myself often in wrestling matches ahead on points. See, if you don't know much about wrestling, the way that you win a wrestling match, you can win one of two ways. You can pin your opponent to the ground, and the referee will smack the mat, and you win, and you've got them pinned. Or you can win at the end of, the, of, the, of, of each uh, round, you can win by getting more po points than your opponent. You can score points by taking your opponent down. You can score points by getting away from your opponent's takedown. You can score points all kinds of ways. And I would often find myself ahead on points. Like I said, I was always pretty athletic, pretty quick, pretty agile. I could move pretty good. So I would be able to take down my opponent. I'd get, you know, the dominant position, score some points. But somewhere along the way, I, I would get so carried away that I would find myself on my back getting pinned. I lost more matches than I won, even though I would always be ahead on points. Here was the problem. When you're wrestling, you've got your coach, and your coach is over on the side of the mat. And as you're re wrestling, trying to win this match, your coach is yelling out instruction. He's letting you know, hey, here's what you need to do to get in better position. Hey, here's what he's doing. Here's how you can exploit what he's doing so that you can leverage that and, and get into a better position and ultimately win. And, and if you've got a good coach, he yells out good instruction. If you're a good wrestler, what do you do? You listen to your coach. My problem was is that I would get so carried away. I would be so far ahead. I'd get to the point where I'd be like, man, I'm doing pretty good. And I'd get so far carried away that I would end up on my back all because I stopped listening to my coach. And isn't that what our relationship with God is like sometimes? You see, we have moments and seasons and times in our life where things maybe aren't going so good. We're struggling in an area. We're struggling with, with an addiction. We're struggling financially. Our marriage is hitting the rocks. Our kids are going crazy. We are, we're, we're in desperate need of God to do something. And those are the moments in life where it's easy to cry out to God, God, I need you. I need you to show up. I need you to do something crazy right now because I don't know what's going to happen unless you intervene. And we cry out to God. But there are also moments and seasons and times in life where everything is going good, our family is great, our finances are in good shape, everything is going our way and everything is going well. And it's in those moments and seasons where we are tempted to say, you know what, God, I got this. Now, we would, of course, never verbalize this. We would never say, you know, that those, those words the way that I just said them. But we do so with our actions. We do so with our need for control. And, and it's this need for control that feeds our self-sufficiency. And before we realize that we fall into the trap of self-sufficient Christianity, we fall into the trap of self-sufficiency because we believe that if we have control over a certain situation and if we have control over a certain person or a certain thing, that we will do a better job than God, even though God was the one with the promise in the first place. We read about Jacob, and Jacob, like I said, is a very interesting character in Scripture. Jacob's life actually began with a promise. 
Even before he was conceived, his life began with a promise. He was promised to his father that his barren mother would actually conceive. And not only did she conceive, but she conceived twins. And in her womb was, was Esau and Jacob. And if you know anything about this story, you know that Esau was the older twin. Of course, he came out first. Jacob was the younger twin. It was prophesied and promised over, over their mother in her womb that there, were, there was two nations at war in, in her womb. And the older would serve the younger, the younger being Jacob. Jacob was destined to be the father of Israel, who we know is the nation that, gave, that, that brought forth the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This was Jacob's destiny. He was destined for abundance. He was destined to be blessed. He was destined to be the father of a nation. Yet time and time again, we see patterns of deceitfulness, of manipulation, of lying and cheating in Jacob's life. Why? Because Jacob felt that if he had control over it, he could do a better job than God. Let me give you some examples. One example, we see Jacob... In, in, in the book of Genesis, and he's, there's this moment where his brother Esau, who's the oldest, and if you know anything about uh, this culture, the oldest would inherit most of the wealth and most of the resources and most of what was owned in the family. And Esau had that inheritance. Esau was a skilled hunter, so he would go out and he would hunt, and there was one particular experience where Esau went and, 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 and was out hunting, and he came back and said that he was famished. He was hungry. He was tired. He needed something to eat. Jacob was really good around the kitchen, and Jacob looks at Esau, and he thinks, man, this is an opportunity for me to connive and manipulate and deceive my way into stealing my older brother's birthright. So what does he do? He looks at Esau and he says, hey, Esau, you know my stew is pretty good, don't you? You've had it before. I know that you're hungry. I know that, you know, you're a little bit tired. Won't you let me take care of you? But if I cook this thing up for you, I need you to do something for me. Esau's probably like, yeah, what is it? I'm hungry. I need the stew. He says, hey, if I make this for you, you're going to give me your birthright. So there you see Jacob deceiving and conniving and manipulating his way into inheriting the birthright that wasn't his in the first place, not realizing that he actually had a greater birthright in store from God and that that birthright was going to be nothing in comparison to the one that God had for him. But again, Jacob felt that he needed to insert himself into that situation. Why? It was this need for control. I'll give you another example. There's later on in the story, you find Jacob, and Jacob is, is, is right now, he's working for this man, Laban, and he's working to earn the, the hand of Laban's daughter in marriage. Jacob ends up marrying both his daughters through a crazy series of events. He ends up marrying both of them, and, and after time, after Jacob has accumulated some status and some wealth, and some prosperity and some, you know, he's, he's got a good thing going. He, 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 he feels God telling him to go and do his own thing. God says, I want you to go and, and do this and this is the plan that I have for you. But in the midst of all that, here's that control again. Jacob comes in and he says, hey, before I do this, I need a little bit more wealth. I need a little bit more money. I need a little bit more resources. What does he do? He comes up with a plan to cheat his father-in-law out of the wealth. His father-in-law comes, finds him, they hash it out, 
But ultimately, who ends up on the top in that given situation? Jacob. Why? Because he felt the need to control the way in which he was blessed. He felt the need to control the way in which he received that, 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 that blessing. Right? It, we see this. And, 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 and why do I bring these things up? Because you and I struggle with the same thing that Jacob struggled with. You and I struggle with who we want to be versus who God is calling us to become. This is what Jacob struggled with because Jacob knew who God was calling him to become. And maybe there's some of you here today that you know who God is calling you to become, but who you want to be is more attractive. Who you want to be will gain you more approval. Who you want to be might gain you a little more wealth. Who you want to be might look better on the outside. But who God is calling us to become has nothing to do with what's on the outside. What's on the outside will come. But it has everything to do with what is on the inside. And what's on the inside is a work that God wants to do in our life. But we, we, we tend to think that we can find fulfillment if we control the things on the outside. And hopefully the things on the inside will work themselves out. And it's why so many of us are constantly frustrated. It's why so many of us are constantly bitter. It's why so many of us are constantly confused, wondering, God, where are you in all this? And God is saying, I'm right here. I'm just waiting for you to loose your grip on it. Am I speaking to somebody this morning? So what happens, what happens when who you want to be clashes with who God is calling you to become? What happens? So what we find in this moment in Genesis chapter 33, we find exactly what happens when who we want to be, the life, the image that we want to preserve, clashes with the person that God is calling us to become. I want you to write this down. Number one, what happens when this clashes, when we find ourselves in a struggle with God, number one, we meet God. We meet God. Some of you are like, yo, what are you talking about? I know who God is. Let me, let me show you. Genesis chapter 28, verse 13. This is God speaking to Jacob. Keep in mind, this is before the passage in Genesis chapter 32. He says, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Did you catch that? No? It's okay if you didn't. I've got another one for you. Genesis chapter 31, verse 42 says, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. Did you catch that? Some of you are like, yo, what are you talking about? No, I didn't catch anything. It's okay. I've got one more for you. I've got one more for you. Genesis chapter 32, verse 9. It says, and Jacob said, O God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. You see, before this moment in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob only knew God through association. Jacob did not have a connection with God himself. He knew God only through his association, through his father, his grandfather Abraham, and through his father Isaac. Listen, can I just give you something uh, that's going to maybe step on your toes a little bit this morning? There's no such thing as Christianity through association. You are not a Christian because your parents were Christian. You are not a Christian because you grew up in a Christian home and you came to church every week, every week on a Sunday. 
You are not a Christian because you are in a Christian nation, whatever that means. You are not a Christian because you, you're connected to the, 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 the Christian political party, whatever that means. You are not a Christian because how many husbands wouldn't even be in church today if your wife didn't make you come? Oh, oh, somebody was offended. I didn't try to offend you. I'm just trying to help you. Listen, Jesus Christ did not go on the cross. He was not beaten, bruised, and abandoned by all the people around him. He was not left alone to hang on the cross so that you could live off the faith of somebody else. Jesus Christ went to the cross so that you could have a connection with the Father through him, a connection of intimacy, a connection of communication, a connection of closeness. Jesus didn't die and raise from the dead so that you could sit here and say, hey, I'm a Christian, but, but you know, I, I just have good morals. Like you're not a Christian because of your morals. You're a Christian because of your connection and your relationship with God. Look at Genesis chapter 33 verse 20. This is after this struggle, this wrestle, this wrestling match with God. Genesis 33 verse 20. It says there he erected an altar and called it El Eloi Israel. Called it El Eloi Israel. This is Jacob. It says he built an altar after this wrestling match with God. He built an altar and he called it El Eloi Israel. That phrase, El Eloi Israel, it means God is the God of Israel. See, after the struggle with God, after Jacob had this encounter with God, he was no longer the God of my grandfather. He was no longer the God of my father. No, 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 no. God is my God. See, some of us here today need a revelation of who God really is, not who my parents said he was, not who culture says he was, not who the the media says he is not who the people around me that are atheists say he is no we need a revelation of who God is for ourself we meet God you see if you find yourself in a struggle with God today it may just be because God is trying to show you who he really is He's not out to get you. He's out to open up your eyes. He's out to open up your heart. He's out to, to, to show you who he really is. We meet God. Number two, write this down. What happens when who we want to be clashes with who God is calling us to become? We meet ourselves. We meet ourselves. There's a moment in, in, in this whole thing where God, in the middle of this wrestling match, looks at Jacob and he asks him a very interesting question. He looks at him and he says, hey, what, what's your name? Like, we know God knew his name. We know that. What, why, why would God look at Jacob and ask him what his, what his name was? In the middle of this, why was it so important that God look at Jacob and so, and so we, we should be careful to not think that this was, like, this was like a happy response from Jacob when he says, oh, yeah, my name's Jacob. Like, it wasn't like that. There was no happiness. There was no chippiness to his response. And as a matter of fact, if I could imagine this moment and picture it taking place, God asked Jacob, what is his name? And Jacob's response was probably one of discouragement and was probably one of, of, of just frustration and, and maybe just a, a lowly demeanor. He looks at God and he says, I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. 
Oh, by the way, the name Jacob means deceiver. It means a deceitful person. See, God needed Jacob to get real with who he really was so that he could bless him and call him and propel him into who he was calling him to become. See, God is not looking at your life and he's not interested in blessing who you pretend to be. God is not interested in blessing who, who you pretend to be that, that looks good on the outside. He's not interested in blessing the image that you're trying to preserve and you control everything around you in order to preserve that image. God is not interested in blessing that image that you want others to view you as. He is not interested in blessing the person who you pretend to be. God is interested in blessing who he's calling you to become. God is not interested and who you pretend to be, or who you wish to be, or who you wish others saw, saw you as. He's not interested in any of that. You see, Jacob's life was a life of control and manipulation. Why? So that he could look good with everything around him on the outside, so that he could have the, the, the status, he could have the wealth. Listen, if we're all about getting others' approval, and we're all about getting recognition, and we're all about getting accolades on the outside, we will miss out on the person that God is calling us to become. And we may accumulate a lot of things, but on the inside, still, there's still going to be emptiness. On the inside, there's still going to be brokenness. But it's not until we acknowledge the brokenness, saying, God, I, I, I really want to have all this put together, but I don't. And I need you. God, I, I want everybody to think that I, that I am who they think I am. But I'm not. God, I, I, I want so badly to be known as someone who is strong. I want so badly to be know, known as someone who is faith-filled. I want so badly to be known as the person who's got their family put together. I, I want so badly to be known as the person who's got all of the answers and the solutions. But God, in all reality, I am broken and I need you, Jesus. I need you every single day because ultimately I know that I am nothing without you. We got to get real with ourselves because God's not interested in who you want to be. He's interested in who he's calling you to become. And it's scary. Why is it scary? Because deep down, if we were really real with ourselves, the reason why we can't be real with God is because we feel ashamed. That if, that if we even thought about letting out the deepest and darkest things in our life, that, that God would, would sit there and he'd just want to punish us. Or he'd want to make sure that we, you know, that we, that we pay for it. Or that, or that you know, he, he just wants to make sure that we, you know, that we get right and that we get correct. Right? And, 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 and we live in this sphere. But you want to know what I love about God? That when he looks at Jacob and he asks him his name and he allows Jacob to become real with himself in that moment, he does not leave him in his mess. He does not leave him in his self-sufficiency. He does not leave him in his brokenness. He looks at Jacob and he says, that is who you used to be. You used to be a deceiver. You used to be a manipulator. You used to be a control freak. But now that is no longer what I call you. Your name shall now be Israel and you will be the man that births a nation that gives birth to my son. 
who will bring salvation into the world. Listen, if you are here today and you are scared to get real with God because of your past, because maybe you were a cheater, maybe you were a liar, maybe you were a manipulator, maybe you were depressed, maybe you were anxious, maybe you were fearful, that is no longer what God calls you. God calls you his son. God calls you his daughter. You are now a child of God. You have a seat at the table with the king and you get to share in the inheritance of his son. But we got to be real with ourselves. We got to be real with who we are. And it's in that realness that his grace can come in and do what his grace can only do. Number three, write this down. When we find ourselves in a struggle with God, we will walk away weakened, but stronger than ever. We will walk away weak. We'll walk away weak, but stronger than ever. There's, there's this moment in this passage where they're going, it says they're, they're going at it all night. Right? Could you imagine right, a random man? Who you have no clue who he is in that moment. He start, you start wrestling and you start going all night. And, 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 and somewhere along the way, Jacob realizes who this is because he asked him to bless him. And, and what I love about God in this moment is that, is that he allows Jacob for the entire night to believe that he actually has a chance in this fight. You want to know why I love that? Because that's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that has allowed you to believe up to this point in your life that you have things under control, that you have things put together, that in your doing, everything is fine, that in your strength, everything is all right. See, it's the grace of God that believes you that you actually have a chance in this struggle. It's the grace of God that allows you to live on day in and day out thinking that, man, I've got it all put together. I'll be totally fine. I've done it all myself, and I will continue to do it all myself. It's the grace of God that allows you to continue to believe that it's you doing all this, and it's you that actually has a chance in this fight. But what I love about this moment, it, it was that when, when, when God needed Jacob to have an encounter with the grace of God, he says, he, the Bible says that, that he reaches out. And he touches his hip. And it says that his hip socket pops out of place. Now, I've never had a hip socket pop out of place. But I would imagine that it hurts really bad. And because it hurts really bad physically, I would imagine that the natural response of my body after getting the hip popped out of my socket would be to brace myself as I fall on my knee. You see, we think that grace is just here to, like, make us feel good. And we think that grace is just here to give us a license to continue to sin. And I'll be fine because the grace of God will, I'm covered by his grace. The reality is this, is that the grace of God will cripple you. What do I mean by that? The grace of God will cripple your pride. The grace of God will cripple your self-sufficiency. The grace of God will cripple your need for control. 
The grace of God will cripple the image that you've worked so hard to preserve for those around you. And you can imagine Jacob in this moment. It was almost like a light bulb moment. I love this scene because it's a picture of what Jacob's life has been like up to this point until he has an encounter with the actual grace of God. And his deceitfulness, his manipulation, his need for control comes crippling down. And he realizes who God really is. That he's a good father. That when he calls us to something, he doesn't doesn't need our help to make it happen. He just needs us to be faithful to him. That when he calls us, he doesn't need our effort. He doesn't need our striving. He just needs us to remain faithful to him, to trust in him. And that even though our entire life we believe that it's been us and our doing and our effort that has gotten us to this point, it takes one moment for the grace of God to touch you so firmly but so gently to bring you to your knees and say, God, this was actually you all along. This was you. I had nothing to do with it. And we see Jacob rise up after this. I love it because God doesn't heal his hip. In fact, Jacob walks with a limp for the rest of his life. You see, grace will cripple any ounce of dignity that you might carry. You see, it would have been extremely humiliating for Jacob, a man of status and wealth in this culture, to walk around with a physical defect. But God wanted to make it certain that it's not your image That it's not your effort, it's not your talent, it's not your gift, it's me. And so as Jacob journeys to go meet his brother in this moment where he was experiencing deep fear, you would think that being physically weakened would make him feel more vulnerable and more susceptible to any attack. But it does the opposite in his life. I can imagine... Jacob limping, making his way to face his brother, physically weakened, but his spirit was stronger than ever before. That on the outside, it looked like things were not put together. On the outside, it was a little bit messy. On the outside, it looked like, man, he was done. He was out for the count. On the outside, it looked like there was nothing that he could do to make it better, to improve the situation. But on the inside, there was a new boldness that was stirred up. On the inside, there was a new faith that was stirred up. On the inside, there was a strength that was stirred up. Listen, if you are here today, please allow God to cripple every ounce of pride and dignity and control that you have for the sake of your spirit and your soul. Because it's not until God touches us in a way that cripples all those things that we realize that who he's calling us to become is so much better than who we've wanted to be all along. And yes, we'll be weakened, but on the inside we'll be stronger than ever before, right? I remember when my son got to be about a year old, 
And if you're a parent, you're, you're going to relate to this. You know, your kids start to get a little more mobile, right? They start to move around, getting and everything. And, and one of the most annoying things when they're in that stage of life is, is, is trying to change their diaper. And not just any diaper, like the nasty poop diapers, you know, like the blowouts. It's like they don't even know that there's like a gigantic mess. And they still just want to throw elbows and roll around and, you know, do their own thing. And you're just like sitting there trying to wrestle them, you know, and, you know, trying to like, you know, get it. Like, you're like, dude, like you're going to get it all over the carpet. You can get it all over the bed, like you know, all over the floor. What are you doing? And I know that in his little mind, he, he didn't fully like understand like me trying to communicate to him why he needed to just chill out. But if he could understand me, what I would say to him is, son, if you could simply... Stop struggling. This mess that you find yourself in, I can clean it up. I could take it from you. I could clothe you in something new. I could clothe you in something fresh. And you would be able to get up and walk in a lighter way, in a peaceful way, in a way that you forgot that you could actually walk. Listen, you are, if you are here this morning and maybe you are frustrated, maybe you are confused, maybe you, you're, you're, you're wondering why your life has gone the way that it has and maybe you're wondering why it is that you are so bitter every day. Could it be that God is asking you this morning to give up your struggle? Because your victory is not found in your effort, it's not found in your striving, it's not found on how much harder you can press on. Your victory is found in your surrender. It's found in your surrender. But Pastor Abdiel, you don't get it. Oh, my daughter, she's so smart. And she has all the potential in the world to do amazing things. And, 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 you know, I just need to push her so that she can have the right grades, so that she can be in the right extracurriculars. And I just need to push her so she can get in the right school. Because unless I push her, then she is not going to fulfill her potential. And God's saying, just give her to me. But you don't get it, Abdiel. My son, he's so athletic. And let me tell you, he's got all the potential to go D1 and go to the league. And I just need to, I just need to make sure that he's, that he's working hard. He's 11, but I need to make sure he's working hard. He's putting in the work. I just need to make sure he's getting to practice, you know, every day of the week, every night. Yeah, I know that he probably can't communicate to me like who Jesus is and what, you know, God's doing in his life. But you know what? When he gets to the league, he's going to put up numbers. God's saying, give them to me. Give them to me. But you don't get it, my husband. I, 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 need, I, need, to, I need to tell him because he's just not understanding. He doesn't get it. My wife, she just, she, she doesn't understand what, who, you know, who I am, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to accomplish. I need to push him. I need, I need to push her. God's saying, just give it to me and just stay faithful. Surrender to me. Stay faithful. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning?
And we're getting ready to go into a time of worship. And there are some of you here that God right now, who he's calling you to become in this moment right now is clashing with who you want to be. And you feel the, you feel the struggle in your heart and in your mind right now in this moment. Because the image that you've been trying to preserve for those around you is clashing right now in this moment with the person that God's calling you to become. The image of your family that you're trying to preserve, the image of who you are and your, you know, portrayed strength that you're trying to, it's all clashing right now. And I don't know what your life is like. I don't, I don't know you, but God does. And maybe there's some of you in here and you're struggling right now because you've got that family member that's away from the Lord, yet you feel like it's your job to be in control and to shove every ounce of God and truth down their throat thinking that, man, this is what's going to make a difference. Maybe you're here and, you, and, you've, and, you, and, you, and you're facing a struggle with, with a family member and you seem to be clashing and clashing and clashing. Maybe you're here and you're facing a struggle with kids or with your workplace or in your finances and you're, you're thinking, but, but God, if I, if I just put in more hours, I'll get more money. But, but, but God's saying, just go home to your family. Let me take care of it. I don't know where you find yourself today. And I would venture out to say that maybe you don't even know where you find yourself today. Which is a problem for all of us, right? Because we're all lost without God. As we go into a time of worship, this altar is going to be open, and I'm going to invite you to surrender your struggle. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar, come to the front of the stage, to bend your knee before God, and as we worship, to surrender your struggle. So if you can, I want to invite you to come to the front as we worship, and if you can't, that's fine. You can do it at your chair, and if it helps, I, I want you to, whatever that struggle is, Imagine that it's in your hand and you've got a close grip on it. The way in which you've had a close grip on it all along. And as you're surrendering, begin to release it to God. Release the grip of control. Release the grip of image management. Release the grip of, of, of trying to make sure that everything is put together. It's wearing you down. It's wearing you out. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So is that, if that's you, as Pastor Kevin leads us, would you surrender in your struggle today? Father, I just pray right now that in the same way that your grace touched Jacob in his struggle with you, firmly, yet gently, that you would touch us right now in the midst of our struggle with you. Come on, let's worship. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. 
Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.